Hey guys, welcome back to the Swish Woodlad podcast. Thanks for tuning in to another episode and a special thank you to anyone who has shared an episode uh, with someone throughout all the seasons, one, two and three. Very grateful for that. does help the podcast out massively, so keep doing that. Um, and you are a lad. But before we get into this one, I must give a massive thanks to Swish for supporting What A Lad. It's been awesome to hear how many of you guys have gone and got yourself a Swish, uh, and the feedback on what you guys have received has been awesome. Um, I've even been sent a few videos, so it's been cool to see as well. There's obviously plenty of current All Blacks on there, including Scott and Bowden Barrett, Rico Ioane, Aaron Smith, Sam Kane, and plenty more. And just for being a What A Lad listener, you can get $15 off your first order by using the code WHATALAD. The video message will obviously last a lifetime and it can be a pretty special gift idea for any sports lover out there. So I'll leave a link in the description below, so go click on that to check it out. Also, if you suffer from muscle or joint pain or even you're just having average sleeps at night, then Pure Sports CBD is what you need in your life. Some of the biggest names in sports swear by and so do I. I can definitely tell the difference between when I take it and when I don't for my hip. Um, and if you do want to give it a try, you can do so with a 20% off offer by using the code WATERLAD20. So head over to puresport.com and check out all the available products on there. And I'll even leave a link in the description below. So just go click on that and get amongst it. Lastly, guys, Tim Bateman, the lad, the absolute lad, has a quick message for you guys that you do not want to miss. Check it out. Cheers, Jimmy. Are you looking for an exciting career for life after rugby? My name's Tim Bateman, and I've been a professional rugby player for the last 17 years. My plan for life after rugby was to get into the well-being and recovery industry, so I built O Studio, New Zealand's largest well-being and recovery centre. Despite the challenges of COVID, we've seen consistent growth in our business, and we've decided to expand O Studio throughout New Zealand and abroad. It's an exciting time for the well-being industry, and we're looking for top lads to be a part of it by opening your own O Studio. If you're interested, head to ostudio.co.nz slash lad to inquire. Back to the show. Ah, what a lad. Well, today we are lucky enough to be joined by an Australian rugby legend. He's arguably the GOAT of Western Force Rugby, having played 134 times for them with form so good he reached the pinnacle of playing international rugby for the Wallabies. He's also very well travelled, having played for the Waratahs, Shimizu Blue Sharks, and who knows, we might even see him run out for the Wellington Lions again this season. And of course, like all my guests are, he's one hell of a lad. He's one of the greats. It is Pat Cowan. Welcome, mate. G'day, Jimmy. Thanks for having me, bro. Hell of an intro. (laughs) (laughs) Mate, I've been looking forward to this one for a while. Obviously, we've had your great cousin on. He's a lad, um, Blair. Um, So looking forward to this one. (laughs) Yeah, I actually had a good listen to that. And it was, it's actually really, really awesome to to listen to that podcast because, you know, with you, because like having left New Zealand so early, um, you know, I was 13 or 14, um, you know, I didn't know a lot of his story. Um, and you know, all I'd seen is, you know, he'd, he'd done great things and like his story is pretty amazing. Like, um, and it doesn't surprise me with their upbringing and, and how they were as, you know, him and his twin brothers, especially Brooke and Kyle. So it was just a real cool way to like really get an in-depth, um, 
I guess, understanding of, of his story. And it was really awesome. But he's still scared of you, though, eh? <laughs> well, I haven't seen him in a while. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, I asked him to send him some stories on you. He's like, nah, nah, he's got way more on me. <laughs> <laughs> nah, he's a, he's a good kid, Blair. Like, he was always, um, or you, as you would know, with, with all the stuff that he does off field with, you know, his creativity and, and his creative side, he was more that kind of kid. And probably, you know, as, as a creative kid, especially back when we were younger, they just got chewed up and spat out, you know. Um, but in saying that, he's bloody done an awesome job and I'm so proud of him. Like, um, you know, I've never really got to play with him or against him. And obviously, when I'd left Shimizu, um, you know, he just told me that he signed with uh, the Rams, um, which is just up the road from where we were, as you would know. So, um, yeah, kind of gutted with that timing, really. But, you know, he kept asking me, mate, you got a Connie for me? Like, because he was real keen to get to Japan, but um, <laughs> I, I wouldn't have sent him my way to my club, that's for sure. But um, no, he's just done really well. Yeah. So what are you up to at the moment? Are, are you a chance to putting the boots back on for Wellington? Yeah. So uh, I kind of started playing with Patoni again with the with the idea that I'd come back in and, and kind of get myself match fit just in time for the ITM season and, you know, being... 36 years young, um, <laughs> the Cavs just did a water bar of it. So I, I kind of got through three games and, uh, mate, especially me, cow and calf, they call it. Um, <laughs> but he only lasted, yeah, the, I think I got through the third game and, um, yeah, kind of pinged my calf a bit. So that kind of pulled out, I guess, the the immediate signing with, with the Lions and it's mm-hmm. kind of put me on the back burner a little bit. Um, I'll go in there actually today um, and I'll check out my calf and things like that and, um, they've given me uh, rehab and stuff like that, so I'll just get in there. And I think they they group together as a, as a group next week. So um, I'll most likely just pop in there with them and just do my rehab alongside. Hopefully, um, all things I guess staying as they are. But you know, footy is, it's one of those weird things, and we'll just see how we go. If the body holds up, then absolutely, you know, I'll, I'll be a chance. But otherwise. Probably not, yeah. How was the body other than the calves? Oh, mate, a bit heavier, a bit slower, a bit older. I've got my hat on today because I've got a few greys. <laughs> so, um, nah, otherwise, though, the body's actually pretty good. Like, um, I spoke with the Lions and, and Leo and the staff last year, and they, they were real happy with, with how I went. So the plan was just, you know, do it again this year and um, basically take the time off, uh, focus on a few things off-field um, and – you know, have a run in to the Lions season. What, what What's keeping you going, like 36 years old, like you mentioned? What's what's the motivation for you now to, to keep playing? Oh, I think having done some coaching and things like that, um, I've actually found real big satisfaction in, in that part of the game. Um, so as much as I still love to play and I just have that competitive side in me, um, obviously as, as we get older, Physically, it's it's a lot harder to actually just get on the training paddock than it is to actually play, and I've 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 had that battle and you know battled those demons kind of probably the last three years. To be fair, like I have to work so hard in order to get on the field, but once I'm on the field, it almost feels like each year. Just as you would know as well, Jimmy. Like the more experience you you have, and I guess the more pictures that you see in, in game, like the game almost feels like it slows down a bit. Um, so, you, you know, you, you're able to play as if, you know, you are 2021. 20, but where I've found that that love for it even more is actually being able to give back 
in sessions and especially in, in, in around scrum time. Um, it's just something that I've always obviously done and been doing for like 17 years um, at the top level and just learning lessons nonstop. You know, you can be the most experienced guy and still get still get dipped pretty much, um, you know, at, at any moment. And I guess, yeah, the motivation is obviously I, I'm just a competitor and I just, once I'm out there, it's funny, like I'll do all the work and I'll be hating it, you know, but the moment I strap up and, you know, shoot off over, over the sideline, it's on, you know, and it's, you're just, you know, and, and you would know that feeling of just being out there uh, competing um, and challenging and especially in the front row, like you're always playing against, you know, someone that you can literally um, analyse and, and try and break them down throughout a whole game. And that's a pretty cool thing to be able to do. And I guess, yeah, it's 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 definitely getting tougher. Um, and and I've, I've already made my mind up that this will definitely be my last season. <laughs> Um, you know, if the body is pretty banged up and I, I still want to be able to run around with my kids and things like that. So yeah. um, I've been pretty, I'm pretty content with how it's all gone so far. But yeah, that, that motivation, if anything, is just being able to give back in a way um, where I just feel there's probably big scope there for, for guys to learn if they're willing to learn. Mate, and those cold um, Tuesday mornings at Rugby League Park when the wind's <laughs> swirling yeah. in and rain's coming horizontal, that tests the body eh, and the mind. Yeah, if anything, it's mental, yeah. Like you're driving in just like, oh, <laughs> Like you can feel the southerly coming through the, the closed windows in your car, you know. <laughs> like if you're not awake by the time, you know, you get to your car, you're definitely awake by the time you get to training. Yeah, and rug- Rugby League Park, what a, what a spot, you know. I used to play there playing rugby league, like when I was playing oh, for Ramwick Kingfishers when I was a young, young kid. And I, I used to think it was the best place ever, you know, and I had no yeah. idea because obviously I hadn't been in New Zealand for a long time and, you know, you'd never go to other people's facilities. And I didn't realise that that's where the Canes and, and the Lions were kind of based out of. Mm. Um, and I, they were explaining where it was and I was like, I don't know where this is. You know, I got lost looking for it. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I think it's Rugby League Park, and I drove up there, and sure enough, you know, all the all the um, cars are there, and I was like, okay, there we go. So I was I was late <laughs> to my first meeting as well there, so it's not a, wasn't a great start. <laughs> was it always your plan to return back to Wellington? Is that how you ended up playing for the Lions? Was it pretty much just where you wanted to live? No, it was never the plan. Like, uh, well, living in Japan, um, you, you would know what it's like there, and. Um, my wife just really struggled there, to be fair, because she was really massive on trying to um, maintain our kids' uh, schooling through the Australian system. So she did it via correspondence, and she was essentially the teacher. Um, you know, trying to do that compounded with moving to a completely new country where, you know, she could barely go to the supermarket and buy bread, you know, because she just couldn't navigate it. She couldn't speak the language. Um, throw on top of that. You know, I'm away quite a bit with footy and then throw on top of that a less than one-year-old daughter. Um, you know, that, at the time I didn't realise, but it was a bit of a recipe for disaster, really. Um, and we were just really, really lucky that we had a place here in in Melling, here in Wellington, that we'd had for years. Um, so she just, you know, she disliked Japan so much that she was happy to move here just to get back to a bit of normality and... You know, she's she's actually thrived a lot um, since being here, and so have the kids. So it was kind of the the original plan was literally just come back here until I finish in Japan, pick them up, and then we shoot back off to 
potentially back to Perth, um, mainly for all the rugby networks and contacts there for me. But the longer they were here, the more they really started to love it. Like my boys had never been part of their their culture here um, in New Zealand as as Maori and and you know as as myself and and being born in Australia, they 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 loved it there as well. But I think being back here, they they really found you know their their identity as as young men, and just that connection with with their culture has just been massive for them. It's been a challenge for me, if anything. It's been harder for me. Like I've been able to reconnect with family and friends, which is awesome. But I guess moving away from Perth was hard enough as it was. But then not actually going back there to that, I guess, the security of the rugby community that I had there and, and, and the contacts that I had there for, for all sorts of stuff was a tough one to have to kind of be like, okay, we'll, we'll stay. And... But in saying that, like now, having been involved with Petoni, um, playing with the Lions, uh, you figure out pretty quickly that the rugby communities are all very, very similar. Yeah. So the values are all there and, and you kind of connect quite quite quickly and quite naturally, um, which has been really awesome to the point that now I'm, I'm stoked to be back. It's taken a little bit of convincing myself, uh, but the more I put myself out there and make connections and... Um, I guess make the effort because you do have to make the effort. It's a little bit different here. Yeah. Uh, people don't necessarily come to you. Uh, it's more you've got to get involved and that's when you make those connections. So, yeah, it's that, that's the nuts and bolts of that um, while we're back. And then it's kind of things are just slowly starting to take traction now with outside of footy as well as footy as well with some of the coaching stuff that I'm doing as well. So, yeah, that's that's pretty much how and why we're back. So did your family just spend one year in Japan with you? Yeah, so they, they lasted the season in a bit. Yeah. Um, and even throughout that whole time, like we were navigating everything. So the kids initially started doing homeschooling, um, but it just got to the point where they were inundated with work because they couldn't get through it. And then my wife was stressed because she couldn't, you know, she just couldn't manage them, a baby, you know, and all the other stuff that comes with living in Japan. So... They weren't able to enjoy it as much as, you know, I guess they, they could have. Mm. And you know, eventually the boys, you know, it got to the point where it was like, fine, they have to go to Japanese school. So they went to Japanese school, like a full-blown Japanese school, and that had its own challenges, man, like foreign kids in Japan. Yeah. Uh, man, I was, I was like a bee stick away so many times to just roll it down to that school. Like, I, I don't know how to speak Japanese very well either. But like I just, you know, the stories they were telling me, I was like, "Fuck, man, this is this ain't no good." You know, you've got to stand up for yourself. But um, you know, funnily enough, once they had made, or once my wife had made the decision to to leave, um, you know, the date was set, and literally as it got closer to that date, the kids really started to flourish because they started learning how to read Japanese, learning how to write. Uh, you know, hiragana, katakana, they started to learn how to speak really, really well to the point that I would take them, yeah. you know, because, you know, you know, you know, we, we learn it and you try and study it, but it's it's a hard thing to do. Um, but they were learning so much quicker than me to the point that I would take them everywhere and be like, hey, can you ask for that? <laughs> oh, da, da, da. You know, and they would ask them, you know, whatever, whatever. Um, and that was, they started actually really enjoying it. And then they had to leave uh, within that year. So it kind of 
went from super hard to like actually really really good within that year um, but unfortunately the everything was already in motion so they they did have to leave because we'd already set everything up here for them to kind of get going but yeah it was only that one year and I think I went on for another couple of seasons after that yeah. how hard was that for you to be over there by yourself without without your family I've always found I've always admired guys who've done that because I feel like I could never do that yeah it was at first I was kind of like how good is this you know <laughs> I'm home oh you know I'm, I'm all by myself I just worry about myself yeah. and in, in a way, like especially with professional rugby, you kind of have to be a little bit that way because the priority is your training, you know, your your diet. Not so much mine, maybe yours, <laughs> mate. Not so much mine, but um, <laughs> uh, you know, the time that you commit to the team, um, to strategy, all that kind of stuff. It, it is a little bit selfish, like that. And then what I what I <laughs> what I'd ended up realizing and but not realizing until a lot later um i'd kind of managed to get through things and you know i had a couple of good roomies as well so i had waxy uh, as one of my roomies for for quite a while and as i started to find it really hard at one point his family actually came over which was really awesome just to have a house full of you know a couple of kids and and his wife there so it was it kind of put me at ease for a little bit which was quite nice um but then obviously in one of our breaks after that particular season, we all we all went home, and then that's when COVID hit. So my team were like, "Mate, you need to get back before the borders close." So then that shortened our holiday, and that was kind of the beginning and the end, really, because I I had shot back, and Sam had actually he didn't tell me at the time. He just kept saying, "Oh man, I can't get a flight. I can't get a flight." But um, about nine months later, because I talked to him quite regularly. He actually mentioned to me that he just decided, man, I can't do that. I actually can't be away from my family and not know when I can come back. Mm. But he couldn't tell me at the time because we were both in exactly the same boat and we were having these conversations like, man, how are we going to do this? Well, let's just make sure like when we get back there, we'll be together at least. So we'll have each other yeah. and then we'll try and manage to bring them back. And, and I, I think he saw through it better than I did. So I had gone back um, expecting him to come and then, He'd obviously said, oh, I can't get in, you know, rah, 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 can't catch my flights. But, yeah, he admitted that he was like, no, nah, I just couldn't do it. Mm. And it wasn't until I had I had a similar podcast with, I can't remember the gentleman's name now, um, but he asked me, you know, how how are your family and, and all that kind of stuff. And I just remember, um, I guess, just being typical typical bloke typical guy like all the stuff that you really worry about you put at the back of your mind mm. and you worry about what's in front of you and you and you keep yourself busy and training and as, as you're starting to i guess come up with those mental challenges of being away from your family you're just ripping harder at training you know like I'd, I'd make sure i'm i'm doing things from start to finish the start of the day to the end keeping myself busy which was a good coping mechanism until i had this one particular conversation um and it was, he asked me about my family and I kind of just mentioned, oh, you know, I haven't seen them for 16 months now. And like, I just felt the emotion starting to come through and, you know, I kind of lost it for, for quite a bit there, just trying to hold it together and, and finish this podcast off. And it was at that point that I realized it's time for me to go home. And irrespective of whether or not I'm still going to be doing footy, because I knew while well, going back to New Zealand, there's pretty much little to no chance that I'll be 
um, picked up by anyone simply because I'm, I'm capped as a Wallaby. So, you know, you're not going to any super team. And the fact that I don't have any history here um, made it really, really tough to even try and, you know, crack it into the Lions um, set up simply because they had no idea who I was. They knew what, you know, that I played for the force and things like that. But, um, but I was prepared to do that because I just got to the point that I'd had enough of it. I've had in, I'd had not not of rugby, but definitely had enough of not being able to come home every day to my family and kids. And like my, you know, I was watching my daughter grow up, and at at one to three years old, like they grow up so much to the point that you don't you feel like I don't know this person, you know, and I, that's not what I wanted. And for my boys, my two boys, they, you know, they were twelve and eleven, moving on to those quite important times of, you know, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, which. Uh, my oldest son will be 14 this year. My youngest son will be 13 this year. So they're really important times for for these for my young boys, and I really wanted to make sure that I was there. And the more that I spoke to this guy, the more I'd kind of pretty much made my mind up. Um, so yeah, that was really hard, but it was really awesome at the same time because it it made me set my priorities right, in my opinion, to just kind of cut and run from Japan you know, finish out my contract, do everything as I needed to, and then move on um, and almost just take whatever came to be what it would be because I just knew I didn't want to feel like that anymore. And the only way I knew how to not feel like that anymore was to obviously put myself back with my family every day. And it's kind of working out slowly. <laughs> sounds like it. Sounds like <laughs> it. But did you, did you leave your Japan club in your own terms? Because... I know a lot of these um, Div 2, Div 3 um, Japanese clubs, some of their contracting um, is pretty marginal. What was your experience? Oh, man, I could go into some crazy detail about these guys, but all I will say is, mate, but the contract that I signed with them was like an A4 piece of paper with more spelling mistakes than I would make, (laughs) like double-sided, and it was real blase like it wouldn't hold up anywhere you know like whether they paid me or they didn't it wouldn't matter because you had no proof like um but in saying that we i did leave on my own terms however it was before the season had actually finished so this is how blase they they were um was that signed us to a point because that's where the initial season was going to finish and obviously covid hit season went another maybe six or eight weeks after that. Uh, but my, by, by that time, myself, head coach, Luke McAllister, uh, one of our South African back rowers, and one other had pretty much already decided, mate, we're, as soon as this contract's done, we're out. Um, and it was, so it was on our terms, but it was probably... It probably hurt the team a little bit. Oh, it did hurt the team a bit because they they made it up to kind of that top league. Although I don't know how we did it because we only played like four games and we won one and drew one. <laughs> but because of how the other teams won and lost, we went from second division into that top league playoff thing and they went straight out the back door. They went from being in top league to like losing pretty much every game, getting spat back out the third div. So oh, um, it probably didn't help the team. But in saying that, everyone, you know, all of us that made that decision made it for either the reasons of wanting to go home, either 
probably being mistreated a bit as, as professional players with the club um, or seeing other guys getting mistreated and almost just drawing a line in the sand saying that's not what we want to be a part of. Um, but yeah, it's a, not not like you, mate, with Coke. Um, big company, I'm sure they looked after you guys a little bit better. You looked a bit happier than us. <laughs> <laughs> when you say mistreated, what, what does that sort of look like? Oh, man. Oh, geez. It could be... Oh, let's put it this way. When I I requested in 2020, the force came back to me. They were like, hey, we're back in Super Rugby. We'd love for you to come back. If you're not playing any any rugby over in Japan, we'll, you know, we'll try and sort it out with your club. And, you know, and that's probably the, at that point where my relationship with the club started getting strained and then eventually ended as it did. Um, but when I mentioned it to them they were kind of like yeah yeah that's fine you know blah 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 and they kind of wrote out this other contract you know same thing one page spelling mistakes and it didn't make any sense essentially just saying you know you're going to go there but you have to come back and if you get injured we're going to sack you and i was like okay sweet so i signed it shot off and then as i shot off i got an email from them saying oh yeah by the way um the contract that you signed with them you need to pay that all to us. I was like, what? They're like, oh, because we're going to pay you. Because essentially I was thinking, sweet, I'll go and double dip. So I'll get paid here and get paid there. Um, And they were all cool with it until I'd left. And then they were pretty much like, no, 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 no. In order for us to sign your release form, you show us how much that money is. And then you send us the contract. And then every I think every month I got paid. We want that deposited directly into this particular bank account. And it was like, it was, it was like someone's random name. It wasn't even like Shimizu Blue Shark Corporation, like player fund or something. It was like some guy's name and some guy's like details. And I was like, Oh, fuck. like what? Um, <laughs> so anyways, like, you know, I'm like fine. And I talked to the force and they're like, oh, mate, this doesn't seem right. And I was like, well, it's either that or I can't play. And they were like, okay. So they got creative with the contract and and did what they did and, you know, got creative for me. So it still kind of was beneficial for me as well. But, um, you know, they were like, okay, what's the tax kind of numbers and things like that so we can make sure it gets taxed properly and things like that before we send it out. And they were like, oh, no, no, just deposit it and and we'll tax it ourselves. (laughs) So more, you know, red flags and, you know, Hojo's actually running a lot of that stuff. And he was like, mate, what's going on here? I was like, mate, I don't know. But he's like, they haven't signed your release form, so we're going to have to do it. Like, you know, otherwise you won't be able to play. So that's one example. Did you pay the guy? Yeah, so they pretty much took most of it. Like, (laughs) it literally just got paid every month. So every month, like, my money would just disip- like gone. It wouldn't be going into my Aussie account or anything. <laughs> this random dude's just making massive coin. <laughs> Mate, someone's making good bank off it for nothing. You know, I'm there flogging myself and I'm bloody, you know, like it was painful. But um, like I said, the force were creative, so they made it still worth my while. But um, it was really interesting. And, and then and then they, they d- demanded, because I actually got injured. I got injured in the last game. Same thing, cow and calf strikes again, uh, like a 12-centimeter tear. I did it properly this time, and I actually thought, I've done my Achilles, I'm done. 
sweet, I'm yeah. going to stay here and then go home. Um, but it wasn't quite the case. It was just a big calf tear. And anyways, I'm, they've called me and said, hey, we know you got injured. You need to come back now. And I was like, well, I'm still contracted for another month. And in my head, I'd purposely done that so that, you know, I could do any promotional work with the force, but ultimately having the conversations with them, it was like, hey, because of this COVID thing, I would like to be able to get back to New Zealand, do two weeks quarantine, see my family for at least 10 days and then fly back to Japan in time to, you know, for the cutoff date, you know, they like to call it. They like to, these guys love to pretty much hang everything like that. So it'd be like, if you don't get here at 12.35 on Friday, the 28th or whatever date, you're fired. You know, they love to utilize and use that all the time. And, and anyways, they demanded that I come back early and I kind of mentioned to them, Hey, I'm still contracted to these guys. So, you know, if you pull me early, um, I don't know if they'll pay you because I, they're not going to pay for me for an extra month if I'm not here for that month. Um, <laughs> and they were like, that's no problem. You pay for it out of your contract that we pay you. I was like, far out. Like, <laughs> what? So either way, I was going to pay for it, right? Um, and then I kind of said to them, oh, well, then they won't pay for my you know, living expenses that they've been paying for. Uh, and that was the biggest mistake I made. They were like, what? What do you mean? What are they paying you? And I was like, no, well, they're paying for my phone and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Anyways, they were like, fine, no worries. You still have to come back. So I had to, you know, email Hojo, mate, I've got to shoot off. Um, do you guys mind paying them even though I'm not going to be here for the month? And I kind of explained everything as I had with you. And then he was just like, fuck, mate, do you just want to stay? Like, you know, like, and I, I seriously considered it, but I don't think I would have been able to because, some, you know, they would have kicked up a massive fuss with mm. Japanese rugby union, um, whatever. So I couldn't do it. Ended up going back there. And then, you know, obviously they gave me a hard time with my calf and, you know, they were like, if it's more than eight weeks, you're gone. And I was like, well, they said it's going to be eight weeks. So, <laughs> like, why did you drag me all the way back here? And they're like, well, because we're going to make sure that it's, if it's not right, then you're gone in eight weeks. And I was like, fuck, man, all right. So the circus went on, right? So, I, you know, thankfully it was all fine before the eight weeks. Um, then I got on the field and they said, yep, let's have a meeting. And then they wanted to discuss the um, the – the money that they were giving me for like, you know, my phone and, or, you know, as, and I was kind of like, well, I needed to pay for things somehow. Like, how did you want me to live? Like I needed to live there and, and, you know, do all this normal stuff that normal people do, like starting to get a bit frustrated with them. Um, so they find me, they find me a couple hundred thousand yen oh, just because I was taking money that I shouldn't have been. And I was just like, and my manager was sitting there and I was just like, <laughs> all right. So I went and got the money and he's like, yeah, no, don't deposit it. Bring the cash. So I literally finished the meeting, went, <laughs> went to a 7-Eleven, pull out my 200,000 yen. There you go. And the, the manager at the time just goes, sweet. He grabbed it, pulls the wallet out. Puts it in, closes it, puts it back in his pocket. And I was just like, you're fucking kidding me. Are you kidding me right now? Like, at least, like, wait until I leave, you know? Um, <laughs> and I had to do that, like, two or three times. 
throughout, you know, oh, you got another meeting. And it was, no, sorry, it was the second time that they were like, hey, another 200,000 yen, and then we'll call it even. And it was at that point that I was like, I went off, like, all in English, and they can't understand a thing. Like the interpreter could. And they were like, I'm not saying that. And I was like, well, you say it however you need to say it. I'm done with this meeting. Um, so I essentially got fired at that point too. Um, but then, again, sorted it out. Went on the rest of the season, but that was pretty much the start of so many things. And there's so many other things that happened to other guys that's just, it's just not funny, eh? Like, and I just, I think it's just crazy that it's such a big company because they leave it to a couple of guys, you know? They just leave it to a couple of guys to just run their cutter um, however they want to run it as long as, you know, nothing major happens. So, yeah, mate. It was, mate that's, that is so interesting. As bad as it was, it was so, like, it was just as good. So yeah. as bad as that sounds, there were so many really good times in Japan as well. Mm. Um, so it kind of leveled itself out, but it just got really to the point that, it, like, that stuff, being away from my family, yeah. obviously coming through an injury again, like, I was kind of like, I am done with this place for now. Yeah. Um, and essentially, it's, yeah, I'm not going back. I'm not going back yeah. there anytime soon. Right, that's yeah. crazy. But it is definitely something uh, players need to be aware of, eh? Like when you are signing with some of these lower teams to really do your research on and maybe like ask the guys how they've been treated, what's it all been like, those guys over there, eh? Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, and I've had a few people randomly message me from different parts of the world saying, hey, I noticed you're at Shimizu, either whether it's on LinkedIn or yeah. Insta. They're like, how was it? They've offered me a contract. And I'm like, I was like, how old are you? Oh, this old. Do you have family? Yes, I have family. It's like, oh, man, I probably wouldn't go there if I was you. And I kind of give them a, a little brief rundown without telling them my life story. Um, and, yeah, they, they normally don't sign. And the guys that I do see sign there, from what I understand, I put in a lot a lot of rules, uh, even around where foreigners can sit in the change room. Oh, you know where they in the onsen, uh, so you can't sit next to each other and talk to each other. Like it's got to that point wow. with that particular club, um, they can't room with each other. They have to live separately, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's that's uh, crazy. It's pretty full on. Mm. Well, anyway, yeah. that's a bloody bloody good insight into Japan. <laughs> we do need to hear a little bit more about you, mate, <laughs> and your journey. So, I know you're. Born, grew up in Wellington, eh? And yep. then moved over to Oz. Yep. So um, give us the rundown. Yeah, so obviously born and bred here in Wellington. Um, went through Kohangadel and, and, and Māori school, so bilingual school. Um, at about 12, my dad realised I couldn't actually read and write in English. Um, I could do it all in Māori, but I couldn't do it in English. Wow. Um, so he sent me to Hutt Intermediate for my last year. I went to Hutt Valley High for one year, and then that was the year that my dad uh, chose to move to Australia um, and then because my parents had split up I was living with my dad my brother older brother was living with my mum I just naturally went with him thought I was going to go there for the six week school holidays thing and then come back just come and stay with my mum back here in Wellington um, but after that kind of fourth fourth and fifth week like I was like man it's awesome here in Sydney yeah. like we were on, on the northern beaches as well so it was just a real cool vibe at the time especially back then um in like 2000 2001 it was cool man like wasn't as 
geez, I might piss a few people off in Sydney, but it wasn't as pretentious uh, along the beaches as it as it seems now. Um, it was a bit more laid back, um, and I'd, I'd kind of seen it change throughout my years being there. And finish off my schooling at Narrabeen Sports, awesome school. Like obviously, as as it sounds, it was a sports high school. So I just played. I was actually playing a lot of golf there, True. and had a mate ask me to come play rugby. Being a Kiwi, I was like, yeah, bro, I know how to play rugby, of course. Um, and then before I knew it, it kind of went real quick from there. Like from year 10 to 12, it moved real, real quick. And I went from just playing club footy to like Sydney teams to New South Wales teams to then ultimately like Australian schools teams for a couple of years, Aussie 19s. And then straight out of school, I'd signed with the force. I finished school 2004. And the force started their preseason in 2005, late 2005. So I kind of had that kind of about a yearish to just be a normal kid. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I pretty much went straight into it. And depends how you look at it. It's either fortunate or, or unfortunately, I had John Mitchell as my first coach. And I reckon I nearly retired about four times in that preseason <laughs> as a 19 year old kid. Just getting absolutely folded right. by this nut job of a coach. But if there's anything that he taught me, it was just like, you're either hard or you're not. Yeah. You're either training for me and playing for me or you're not. Um, by the end of preseason, there was about eight guys. We had a squad of 40 something people. There were eight guys in there. All of us were the, under 20 years old, right? Yeah. And he's talking to us like, this is what I want for my team. This is what I'm talking about. See all those guys over there, Nathan Sharp, you know, all these, all the top players. Little did we know that they were probably just thinking, fuck this, mate, we're done. We'd win. Yeah, <laughs> something's wrong. I'm not training, you know? Yeah. And here we are thinking, mate, we're in. Like, none of us played, like, none of us played <laughs> a game <laughs> that season. Oh, I think I played one off the bench. I got one. But the rest of them were like wrestled that next preseason. They weren't there. You know what I mean? So he'd just flog you and, and leave you, man. Like, So if there was one thing I learned was like just I'd broken my leg and I, I just remember John would just randomly just write everyone's names on a board. You might have heard this story from Wyxie because Wyxie loves it. He writes everyone's name on a board. And tickle cross on your name. So you'd walk into the team meeting, sit down. Fuck, what's my name got a cross on it? You know, and because I was injured, and he went through everyone, mate. Peck, injured, no good. <laughs> Wyxie, well, Wyxie, you know, was actually going all right during preseason, you know, because he, you know, he's probably running out of fear as well. Um, tick, mate, ripping in, you know, gave him a good rap, and I was like, fuck, this guy. <laughs> like, you know, like <laughs> what? And and I actually distinctively remember I was only like five weeks into my rehab. Uh, like I'd broken my leg and I think I was on the sixth week and I was meant to be doing rehab like to get back running and I just went straight into training I was like no nah. went straight into training and like you'll never see that ever from <laughs> anyone especially now like it's like oh no nah, I need my six weeks rehab and then I need my return to contact and I was just like no nah. I can went straight in old school and mate like no joke him and the physio John Mitchell and the physio were having like an argument. Like, he's like, man, he can't be doing that. Like, look at his leg. Like, and Mitchell's like, if he wants to be here, he can be here. You fuck <laughs> off, you know? Like, 
And so I trained like out of fear, literally out of fear that year. Um, I still didn't play in 2007. Like <laughs> I didn't play again. I was like, what do I need to do for this guy? Um, and it wasn't until 2008, but it, but it was that mentality that he taught me um, leading in to my, I guess, my breakout year in 2008, where I pretty much, you know, that's when my super career really started and started playing a lot. But yeah, it was a real tough, um, real tough intro- introduction to professional rugby. That's for sure. Um, obviously, being away from home and all of that as well. You'd do anything to get a tick on next year, no? Even train with a broken leg? Oh, anything, anything. Like, and it, literally, it was after that. Like, it was like, yep, tick. You know, out of rehab now. I was like, and I'm sitting there like wondering why now at 36 years old I've like got horrible calves. I've got like. <laughs> tendonitis and both Achilles it's like yeah because I was running on a skateboard for like two years straight but that's fine um, I got a tick yeah. you know <laughs> uh, I made 135 games um, yeah. you must have managed to get um, a fair few games going back to back and consistency to stay on that field yeah that was if there was one thing that I always um, tried to deprive myself on was just my consistency each week yeah um, you know, no one would ever say far out. He was off that week or he didn't have a good game. And that was kind of my motivation really to be like, I don't want to drop my standard with how I play personally. And although you play in a team sport, you are still in pretty much full control of how you manage yourself as an individual in that, in that team. So for me, it was all about that consistency. And, and I got rewarded for that year in, year out. Uh, week in and week out and the only time really I wouldn't play would be if I got got injured um, which again like the injury wouldn't last long like, like same thing Calves. no not quite <laughs> um, I we, we played the Chiefs um, and I'd made a tackle and I'd you'll see one thumb bends back and one thumb doesn't and yep. this one anyways so naturally that's how my thumbs are I went to make a tackle bang this thumb snaps out bones are sticking out here and this thumb and I'm like fuck like yep have to come off I got a cross <laughs> on my name injured I was like you're kidding me mate like what the hell do I need to do you know um, so sure enough I yep clean it out stitch it up obviously I didn't come on the rest of that game but I ended up playing the last the next week Did you? Um, because I was like, mate, I got a cross on my name. So I literally had this thing stitched up. I had it like in this cast that I couldn't catch or pass. Um, but I was like, mate, I don't want to cross, you know. Um, and that might have been the catalyst to why I'd been able to play so many games um, being at the force. It was such a tough, such a rewarding career. But at the same time, it was so tough because – like I said, um, I love to compete, and when it doesn't feel like your team can compete at the level that it needs to, it's incredibly frustrating because um, there will be so many times that I can hang my hat on my performance and be like, man, I did everything I could. And you look at the team's results, though, and you're only judged by those results, really. Yeah. Oh, your team's you're no good, mate. You're losing all the time, you know? Um, and I guess the reward for me was despite – the struggles as a team, I was still able to squeeze myself into playing test footy and doing it on the back of consistent performances, not necessarily consistent wins. Um, And I actually remember Sam mentioning this 
Sam Mike's uh, kind of having to uh, determine your own success and what that looks like. And that's kind of how, although I wasn't consciously thinking of it, that's how I was kind of managing it. It was that, well, I can only manage myself in this team. And irrespective of what's going on, as long as everything that I'm doing is good, I should get rewarded. And that, that, that happened in, I think, 2009 when I debuted. Um, but it was a bloody hard slog, absolutely, like, you know, you guys would have been licking your lips every time you played us, just like, what force team's going to come out this week, you know? Is it the team that can <laughs> knock over the Crusaders real randomly or is it the team that loses to, yeah. you know, anyone else, you know, and just isn't there? Yeah. And and this was the hard thing with our group was the capacity was there at times, but we had to be firing off all cylinders and we needed everyone playing well to give ourselves a chance. You know, out of 22 to 23 guys – the likelihood of a couple of them not being 100% or playing as well as they should was highly likely. So um, it was just bloody – it was a tough slog, absolutely. But to, to be able to play Test 40 – and I was never, ever actually contracted to the ARU, which was a, another one of those frustrating things that, like, um, you realise pretty quickly that you just have to be slightly off. And the guys who are contracted to the – to the ARU or Rugby Australia now, they, they walk straight in anyways. Not to say that they don't deserve it, but if you, especially with me at the time, I was like, man, I'm playing good footy. How am I not there? But um, like I said, you only get judged on your wins and losses, not necessarily what you're doing all the time as an individual. So, um, and I guess choosing to stay at the force was one of those things as well that I just, I learned to love the place but I always wanted to be part of the change, but it yeah. just, you know, we'd get better and better. And we had an awesome year, 2014, where we'd won 10 games, but that was still at the time where it was only top four that would make it. And I remember the Canes snuck in because they had nine wins, but they could score bonus points. And they scored way more bonus points than us. Like when we won, we won ugly. Like we would drag teams down into the mud with us and see who can hold their breath the longest, you know. And we'd been down there for so long that we were pretty good at it at that point. Um, And we could just – we were pulling wins together left, right and centre that year. And we we still didn't make the semis in the playoffs, which was so painful. But, yeah, I definitely put a lot of it on on that consistency. And just – I don't know, like – most most guys are competitive in a way, but I just love that part of the game. So I just love being like, well, you guys are really good. Let's see where we're at. Um, and yeah, it's just I've always been like that. So it's probably contributed a lot to that. And you mentioned your Wallabies time. Um, firstly, how did you find out? Did, you obviously was kind of expecting it or you're probably hopeful for a long time and then once you finally got that call, how did it feel? Yeah, I tell this story a bit as well. Um, but I'd just come off a pretty good year in 2009. Like it was my second full year of playing, you know, quite a bit of footy. And I went to JB Hi-Fi. I remember this. I'd taken my car there, went to buy myself something electronic. I can't remember what it was because, you know, you had to play so many games and you got a bonus. And I hit that bonus on the last game of the season. So you get through Mad Monday and everything. And that week is when they named the Wallabies. But I had no inkling at all. Um, so I was just went there, started pumping my music, you know, with the CD player, showing my age a bit. So obviously my phone had rung, um, but I, I was pumping the music going home. 
So I I didn't hear it. And and I I'm real funny with numbers that I don't know. Like I'll kind of be like, nah, I don't know them. It's not important. So I got home, walking in with my stuff, showing my my partner at the time, or Meg's my wife now. Um, God bless her, she's hung around through some she's she's a, she's a good lady. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I've checked this phone call and I'm like, fuck, they've left a message. I was like, sweet, that's better than talking to them. So I check it. And it's Robbie Deans. He's like, hey, Peck, um, you know, would you mind giving me a call back? Robbie Deans here from the Wallabies, head coach, you know, saying his spiel. I was like, I should probably call this guy back. So I called him back and he just kind of congratulated me on, you know, being selected in the squad and being one of the bolters um, that wasn't contracted. Uh, They wanted to take me and fly me down to Sydney just to kind of do some of the press work and stuff like that. which was awesome, which was awesome. And pretty easy to say that, you know, save Robbie Deans' number, never missed a call from him again. Um, unfortunately for me, the last, the next call he gave me was one telling me that I was out of the squad. So, <laughs> so then I deleted his number again. I never spoke to him again. <laughs> uh, how did that second phone call go? Like, what was what was the reasonings behind it? Oh, it was a very similar thing, actually. Like, he was like, hey, come come have a chat with me. Um, you know, and I start walking in. And I notice, I notice there's a couple of guys waiting around Robbie's room at the hotel. And I was like, it's kind of like, he's not been playing. He's not been playing. <laughs> oh, shit, here we go. <laughs> um, and he just kind of, you know, you, you're hoping it's not the case, but sure enough, they, they tell you, oh, mate, you're out of the squad. We're bringing this person in. Um, this is just before spring tour as well. So I was like, oh, mate, like, if anything, you want to go on the spring tour at the end of year because it's it's not because Wallabies payments aren't done like the Kiwi ones where it's kind of like that weekly allowance for all players, which I think it needs to get to for Australian rugby because the reward needs to be the jumper, not so much the payments. So, so, but with the spring tour, all the money's pulled up from all the test payments, um, all the allowances, and then it's divvied out at the end of the year. So you want to go on that spring tour if you're a young pup or if you're, you know, similar to me where you hadn't played a lot of tests because one, you're not getting paid by the ARU two, you're not playing a lot of tests footy. And then, Three, you'll actually get a share of all of that. So, you you know, all the training, all the time away, you know, all the challenges that come with being away and, and you know, being at that high performance level for, for that whole month or whatever is rewarded when you get home. Um, so, you know, I was spewing. I was like, fire out. And I guess the only positive was that it was one of my good mates, uh, Tetsuro Faulkner, who they had taken on instead of me. So I was actually like, oh. Sweet, that's it. You know, that, that is what it is. You know, I'll, I'll rebuild and, and come back. Um, but I, little did I know, I didn't get back there for another three or four years. But <laughs> So it took a long time to get back there. Look, looking back on your Wallabies career, is there anything you would have done differently What knowing what you know now? Or like, what do you think you could have done that potentially kept you on that side for a little bit longer? Uh, I would say just my... I'd say my discipline, eh? Like not so much on field. It would be all the little things that that make you a professional. So, 
um, being as young as I was, um, I thought I'd made it, you know, and, and it's the classic case that you see and hear that you shouldn't do where you go out a bit more than you should, uh, you indulge a little bit more and, you know, dining and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And I just, I didn't manage myself off the field as well as I should on it. Um, you know, cause when I was on field and training, I ripped in, but it, that wasn't replicated in my life outside of footy, uh, being a young dad, um, just being young in general and trying to manage all these things, the coping mechanisms that I was using weren't helping my footy career. They were just helping me mentally, you know, just to try and de-stress or get away or, you know, uh, spend time with my family. And it wasn't necessarily catering to high performance the whole time, which is um, ultimately where, you know, someone like me who was a good footy player couldn't really, I, at the time I didn't realise I couldn't, you know, I couldn't really afford to not do that stuff as well. What I was doing on the field is just a portion of what it takes to be at that elite level for a long period of time. Um, so, yeah, that, that would probably be it. Absolutely. Mate, like that. Great advice for any um, young kid listening or professional rugby player. But another <laughs> game that I don't know where it fits on the timeline, but um, when you played... For the Barbarians against Australia, yep. what was what was that moment like, and what was that week like? I love hearing Barbar stories. Oh, mate, it was apparently apparently we were quite tame, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Like, <laughs> what? You? This is tame. They're like, "Oh, mate, there's been there's been no like damage to anything. There's been no fights." And I was like, "Mate, you, if you're comatose, you can't do anything, right?" Like, um, but yeah, that was 2017, and so John Mulverhill who was actually one of my coaches with John Mitchell in, in the early times of the oh, force. Yeah. Um, he was the coach of that team. And and he was and by that time, the force had been cut officially. So he got a whole bunch of force boys. He was like, hey, mate, you came to rip into the Wallabies? And I was like, fucking oath. Let's go, you know, like, yeah. let, am I starting? <laughs> like, I just said straight to him, let me start. He's like, yeah, mate, you'll start. I was like, sweet. Who's our tight head? Oh, Taniela Tupo. I was like, beautiful. Yep, who's that hooker? Sweet, we're away. Um, and that was awesome that week. Um, again, as you would expect, like, a lot of it I don't remember, to be fair, because, like, we we barely could go to training. Like, uh, I, I just remember, this is a good one. Like, oh, so, Wycliffe Palu had, you know, he, he was he was in there, and, and we'd gone out first night, second night. Okay, we got training the third day. And um, I don't know who I can't remember who his roomie was. Another island boy, it might have been Taniella. It was it was one of the island boys, but they were like, oh, I'm, "I'm not gonna go and wake him up. I'm not. You go wake him up." They're like, "Mate, he's your roomie. Go out there and go get him." And he legit was like, "No, no, I I don't want to upset him because he he's out, bro. He's he, he's not responsive." <laughs> and anyways, we were like. Go get him. That's part of it. You go get your roommate. You never leave your roommate by themselves. And anyway, it's like he's gone up there and training it well and truly. The time that we were meant to be there and back had truly had gone. Like we're waiting there for ages. <laughs> and eventually Cliffy's on, you know, walks on, hoodie on, doesn't say anything, sits down. We shoot off the training. We're like, fuck, well, we probably shouldn't do line outs because probably not safe. It's Cliffy. He just sat down, did no training. <laughs> and the worst thing was, was I think he was the captain. So <laughs> literally after that training session, which was delayed an hour and a bit because 
you know, we couldn't get him out. <laughs> he had to go in front of the media and do all the media talk. Oh, man. And everyone was just like, we don't know how this is going to go, you know? like, And the coaches are kind of like, well, we have to, though. We can't just say he's not the captain anymore. We've already named him. But credit to him. Like, he kind of, you know, the hoodie came off, smacked back some water, a couple of Vs, went out there. And away he went, he kind of got through the as much as he could and then kind of left. But um, that was one of those times that I was like, I'm keeping my jumpers. I've still got my shorts, you know. Like, yeah. in fact, I took two jumpers because they had, like, the, <laughs> the injury bag if someone gets injured and I'm like, Sweet, took another one, um, gave it to my granddad because it's just one of the that kit. It just represents so like pretty much all the things that you love about footy. You yeah. get to do it a hundred times, the magnitude of what you'd normally do with like a whole bunch of guys who are just talented in, in everything that they do, with a game plan that's like my five year old daughter wrote up, you know, and away you go, you know, it's and and you do it half cut to be fair <laughs> like you roll out to the game like geez i'm still pretty dusty um and we almost went out and won that game um had we not got a couple of yellow cards at the end uh we probably would have won but um yeah like i wish i had more stories but to be fair most of the time i was already pretty cactus <laughs> i i'd done a good job on myself that's for sure <laughs> Mate, it's crazy how competitive they are considering um, their build-up, eh? Like you spoke about, like the game plan, the, the preparation, um, it's pretty loose. So, uh, But they always seem to be relatively competitive, eh? Absolutely. And that, I guess that's it's the one time that if you were a trainer, you know, one of those hard-out SNCs who's like, mate, if you have three beers, you might as well not have trained yesterday. Yeah. You know, those guys, it's like, hey, I think I <laughs> – drunk about eight cases of beer, like passed out four times, played a test match and pretty much should have won, you know? And these guys had a full week of prep and they've been doing it for like three months and they battled, you know? But I guess that's the beauty of, of, of rugby as well. Like you can kind of, you know, that kind of lifestyle, you can you can do that every now and again with sport. However, if you kind of do it longer term, yeah. that's when the yeah, body really. breaks down, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that's when guys get found out potentially who, who kind of do that a bit more than they probably should. Um, I'm not saying I'm not one of those guys, but I've <laughs> probably managed it as best I could. <laughs> oh, it's good stuff. I love hearing the yarns. But one thing you did mention a little bit earlier on in the podcast was your life after footy, and you spoke about the connections you've made and uh, how it's looking in Wellington at the moment. So, what are your plans post footy? Which is you've said is going to be next year. Yeah, well, yeah, it'll be be before the end of the year. But um, oh, I started a vending machine business oh, true. here in Wellington, um, which is pretty random. Um, having lived in Japan, yeah. Man, I just, I just saw money. You yeah. know, I was like, man, you know. And again, speaking with Sam, he he he'd actually put one in um, in one of his club teams in, in Sydney, uh, West Harbour. He put one there, and he was like, called me, bro. This thing's pumping because he was obviously at the Tars at the time. Yeah. So he'd just fleece all their Powerades and fleece all their protein <laughs> bars and just shove them into this machine and just be making bank off this one machine. Um, off all the battlers like at his club team and I was like is that ethically right and he's like bro I just wanted to see how it would go right yeah. um, so he started doing that and I was like stuff it you know so when I got into quarantine here in Wellington uh, sorry I was in Rotorua 
I started Googling, you know, trade me. Sweet, someone's selling a run here in, in Wellington. Did the run. Sweet, I'll take it. Had no idea mm. about how to program machines, where to get my stock from, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I kind of learned that on the run, which is kind of, that's just the way I kind of do things, I guess. If, if I don't know it, I'm happy to just chuck myself in there and learn. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of pumping that out, and that's kind of good. It's going pretty good, actually. Um, it's random. It's real random. Yeah. Like the amount of people that are like, what? Because everyone thinks it's big business, which it is. Like there's, you know, all the pro vendor and, and all those kind of guys that you pretty much see all their machines everywhere. Um, I'm just a really small portion of that. But it's it's been good fun. Um, I'm doing some coaching down at um, St. Pat Silverstream. Yeah. Um, so, well, you know, Blair, Brooke, and Kyle went there. So I'm just trying to tidy up our family name a bit because <laughs> they didn't leave a great impression at that school. To be fair, <laughs> so I'm trying to put a bit of credibility back in our name. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, doing some coaching there, and then I'm doing some social work as well, which has been really cool. Which has been I guess similar to that coaching thing where I'm really finding the value and I guess helping people. Um, obviously, with, with rugby and scrum in particular, uh, specializing in that area, I, I just love watching and being able to de- develop guys if I can. Um, you know, and a good example of that is Yona Apinero, who's was a back rower last year with the Wellington Lions, but he's converted to prop. So I did a lot of work with him quite a few months ago now. Um, and he's actually been re-signed by them as a prop, sure. as a tight head prop as well. So, um, you know, the work, and that's so satisfying for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and if anything, I'd love to play for them just to be able to play alongside him a bit more at a, at a higher level, um, just because it's so rewarding to be like, man, I helped that guy, but this guy actually did the work as well. Yeah. And, and it's amazing how a bit of knowledge and a bit of effort can produce something quite, quite, dramatic and quite quick yeah. for, for someone like him. Um, and, and that's where I've found the value in, in the social work as well. Um, trying to give back to Māori and Pacific youth. There's, there's plenty out there that need help. So I guess my story is a little bit different to maybe some of the stories like, like our main facilitator, for example, his story is completely different to mine, but we're two completely different ends of the spectrum. Mm. Uh, but the thing that we do have is that we're from the exact same place from the exact same area, uh, grew up with exactly the same values uh, going through Kohangareo and, and Māori school. So, um, you know, there, there's a clear picture for kids like you can go down the way that he did and, you know, nearly lose your life or with a bit of work, with a bit of commitment, a bit of um, consistency, you could achieve what I did and more, uh, which is... Uh, really powerful uh, for, for these young rangatahi that, that we look after and uh, that we kind of, I guess, guide. Um, so it's kind of, you know, those those three things are keeping me really busy outside of footy and obviously with my wife and kids um, as well, trying to be like a, a proper dad this time, yeah. um, not not the dad who, who just shoots off the footy all the time and brings back all the toys and, and all the fun stuff. Yeah. I'm actually trying to be a full-time dad. Um, so yeah, life after footy is, is kind of going to be a combination of, of those three things, how much each one of those goes, I guess I'll just feel my way through. Um, and if it suits me, uh, that, and that's the thing I've, I've been, and you would know this too, Jimmy, being in professional sport, you're dictated and told everything that you have to do, which is fine because you're all about high performance and you have to follow all these steps to kind of 
get yeah. to where you ultimately want to get to. Um, but I'm loving the ability now to slowly learn to say no, because obviously in professional sport, it's all about, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I can do that. Yep, of course. Yep, 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 yep. I'm happy to do that. Yeah, I'll give that a go. Um, as we're now, it's, um, if it doesn't really work for me now, I, I it's hard to say no, but I, I do try and say no to things that don't work for me anymore. Um, and it's just helped me just, I guess, value the time and, and give the, the time where I want to really give it. Um, and then be able to at least still have time for my family and like a, you know, we're, we're here at 10 o'clock, 10, 20 and, you know, it's, I don't have to go to work. I don't have to run my machines. I don't have to do the coaching stuff because I make sure that I have this time to do other things and it's been a juggling act and it's definitely been a challenge, but, um, I have found, I find more peace in being able to be a little bit more organic with what I choose and not choose to do and you know if i really really like it i'll make that time for it and it's you know i'm, I'm 100 percent into it if i don't particularly like it i'll consider it but learn to say no love that mindset love that approach to life after 40 i think that's <laughs> crucial to have like one two three options where you can really because you don't exactly know what you want to do eh, when you finish so to have a few options nah. get a feel for them and then just nah. follow the one that um, takes you to wherever you want to go is I think it's really important so I'm um, excited to see where that vending machine business goes mate no doubt you'll be selling all sorts in that yeah it's not great for a front rower mate to have <laughs> bloody snacks everywhere are you limited to what you sell uh no because because I'm not a big supplier I'm not one of the big chains who have agreements with certain brands um yeah I pretty much sell whatever uh site I stock request as long as it fits in the machine or if I'm manufacturing a brand new one, I'll get all the stuff that they want um, and then I'll manufacture the machine to suit and then drop all that stuff in for them. So that's all, it's all been pretty cool. What's your best seller? What's, what sells, what sells the best in there? Oh mate, V is a massive one. Is it? Like I can't put enough V in, in my machines and make cookie times. It's not just a favorite with my machines. It's a favorite with my, left hand when I reach back <laughs> and try and grab a couple throughout my drive because <laughs> you could be in the car a little while. So that's that's probably the only risk with if this bloody business gets up and running really substantially is that I'm going to have so many boxes of cookie times at home, eh? It's, it's not safe, eh? <laughs> uh, that's probably another reason why I might have to hang up the boots, mate. <laughs> Too many cookie times. Oh, I love it. Anyway, mate, as always, we've gone to our Instagram for some questions and we've come up with a few here, so um, we'll try and fly through a few of these. Sweet. But first one, what happened in the scrap with Clint Newland? <laughs> oh, man, I actually remember this vividly, right? He's a big, scary dude, for one. Yeah. And I'd actually watched some clips of him previously, like, knocking people out, like, in-game. I think he knocked out, like, Namir Tialata, like, just a dog shot, like... True. I think it was during ITM or something. And anyways, um, our scrum started pumping and I was like, yes, like, you know, pumping through them. And I, I remember holding on to him too long or something. He, he just didn't like it. And he just threw this haymaker ball and it like, lucky it didn't hit me cleanly on the head. And I boom. And just naturally out of reaction, I was like, someone's throwing a punch and like, without thinking, boom, I threw a punch and then I realized it was him. And I was like, Oh geez. <laughs> And these haymakers, you like 
she's my lower back was a lot better then, so thankfully I could duck them and get a, get away from them. Had one of those hit me, I wouldn't have been, you know, I think my career would have been over anyways because I wouldn't have been able to get in another team again. <laughs> they would have been like, man, you're weak. <laughs> it's cross, John Mitchell, cross. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, and then that, that was pretty much all it was. And then as we were walking off, like he started arguing something back to me and I, I kind of argued what happened, mate. We were pumping your scrum and he was like, blah, 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 and he was having a go at me and we kind of stopped for a bit. And I remember looking, being like, I'm not doing this. I'm just going <laughs> to jog off. And you actually see the footage, like I'm like, <laughs> and you just see me all of a sudden just run off to the sideline. And I remember the commentators saying, oh, look at this, guys. They're separated by a green chair, like because there was a green chair, a green chair, and then a third one between us. And we were just sitting there like kids who just got in trouble at school from the principal. Like, uh. But then he started having a laugh about it. And, and then we had a little laugh and then went back out there 10 minutes later and finish the game off. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> oh, I love stories like that. Good insight. Okay, next one. Ask him about the flooded bathroom in Cardiff. Oh, who was that? Who asked that question? Matt Hodgson. Gee. The other force goat. <laughs> oh, geez. So we were, oh, we were with the Wallabies, actually. So, <laughs> so what happened? I had this classic thing. So I bloody... If I got too drunk, I knew, okay, I'm going to vomit. Yeah. So what I'd started doing was like, man, I'm going to front foot this. I'm so smart, right? I'm going to go in the shower and just pretty much just comatose there <laughs> if I need to vomit. You know, no dramas, no mess, no nothing. And um, this particular time in Cardiff with the Wallabies, fuck, of all teams. Um, <laughs> and directly below us was the physio room just to give some context. Um, and I bloody, same thing, went out midweek, did the same thing. I was like, oh, I'm no good again. Shower on. Before I knew it, I kind of hear this knocking on the door. I'd been asleep maybe, what, four hours? The shower <laughs> pumping. Boom, 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 like kicking it down pretty much. And I was like, what the? And I didn't realize, but I'd fallen asleep on the on the plug. <laughs> So, and I was only in the shower. So obviously, you know, the, there's only like that much clearance in the shower. And I was like, oh. And by the time I'd got up, I looked around and the water was over that clearance, but sitting at that level throughout this whole bathroom. Um, and I was like, holy shit. And I like, in a panic, I get up, start throwing all the robes and everything just to try and dry this water up, not realizing that that water had then obviously at that point had gone through the hallway in the hotel room Holy. and was actually seeping down into the physio room downstairs. And the store's getting banged down and I, boom, pulled the door open and it's the physio. He's like, mate, what the is going on here? What are you doing? And I was like, oh, mate, I was just having a shower. I didn't realize, you know, and he could tell my <laughs> eyes are glassy and I'm like stumbling. <laughs> and I, who was I rooming with? I think I was rooming with George Smith's brother. Uh, box and he was like he was passed out on his bed anyways um and i'm like oh like i didn't really know what to say um and he was like mate the floor's flooded and i remember i remember being like oh shit the floor's flooded what do we do like trying to like you know throw it back on him and anyways they've got this bloody industrial like hoover that can hoover up 
water. Oh. <laughs> and the poor lady, but by the time she'd come in, I'd just jumped on my bed, like passed out again. And Hodgy, I think he was one of the guys that was like, what the hell's happening up here? And this lady's hoovering <laughs> this thing, sucking up all this water. And he looks in and he would have seen Boxer myself, like passed out on our beds. <laughs> Um, and I was shitting myself, I tell you not, because by the time, because that was the last place we were leaving before we went back to Australia, and I was like, please, when I pay my bill, please, please don't make me pay for all this damage. Yeah. Please don't make me pay for it. And I was kind of, gave my card in, and the lady was like, oh, did you? And I was like, fuck, no, no. And she was like, was there something wrong in your room? And I was like, no, no, fine. And I purposely waited to be the last guy so that if anything, yeah, yeah, yeah. if she had to go and talk to someone or something, I could just pay my bill and leave. And by the time she'd spoken, hopefully we'd left. And she was kind of asking me some questions and I was like, no, no, it's fine. It's all good. She was like, okay, so your room bill, you know, or your food bill is whatever. Yeah, paid that. No, no, I don't need the receipt. Are you sure? No, 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 no. Boom, got on the bus and I was sitting there praying like, please, 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 please. Sure enough. The bus takes off, and I was cheering like I've just—I don't know how much that would have cost if they—they they could have made up anything, you know. Japan would have. Yeah. Oh man, I would have been gone. I would have been in jail, you know. But um, yeah. So that was. Yeah, I forgot about that actually. <laughs> One of the great ads. Maybe that cost you. Maybe that's why they didn't take you to the spring tour the following year. Or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The following year, actually. Because there would have been a, a flood levy they would have had to pay. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Okay, next one. How does he keep his hairline so immaculate when the rest of his body is falling apart? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I, I've always had this thing where, like, especially the guys, I've always noticed people's hairlines. It's just one of those things that I always notice, mainly because mine's so strong. It's grey now, but it's still strong. <laughs> Um, and, and a lot of my, especially guys like Heath Testman, um, who else? Oliver Hoskins, who's now bald. Um, he's only a young fella. Oh, he's playing at, um, yeah. London Irish. Good, yeah, good yeah. tight head prop. Young guy though. He was real young playing super yeah. and he just needed that time in the saddle. But there was a few of them that I'd always be like, oh boys, you're gone. You're gone. <laughs> They're like, mate, what are you talking about? What are you doing? And I'd be touching their hair like, mate, look how thin that is. Mate, put your head, put your hands through my hair. And they're like, holy Jesus, that's amazing. You know, like, and my hairline's just always been the same. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure I know where that question came from. But, yeah, I, I just wish, yeah, the rest of my body looked like my hairline. If anything, it's starting to look like a melted wheelbarrow. But it's all good. <laughs> Oh, good stuff. Okay, next question. This one's from a major sponsor, Swish. If you could get a video message from any celebrity, who would it be and why? Jeez, I'm not big on celebrities, eh? But if I was going to pick one, Lenny Kravitz. Oh, there we go. I, I would love I would love a birthday wish from Lenny Kravitz. Um, I've always been a big fan of his, um, even as a kid, like, just love his music. So, yeah, probably Lenny Kravitz, I reckon. Nice. Just a happy birthday wish. Yeah. Maybe play me some music. <laughs> yeah. Solid. <laughs> it's a bit Kravitz. random, eh? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have picked it, but, mate, I like it. It's a good answer. Nah. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, next one. Does the Honey Badger actually talk like that? Oh, man. He does now. Like, with, with him, though, 
because uh, his, his dad actually talks a lot like that. His dad is, oh. is very much like that um, with those mannerisms. But I, I distinctively remember Kamo knowing that he was going to be interviewed one particular year, especially when he was younger. Um, and he actually had like a printout oh, yeah. of all these, you know, single arm, brick lamb, Baghdad, yeah. pull in a china shop going off like a cut snake, <laughs> rat up a drain pipe, like you name it. And he had them all there. And I was like, mate, that's not going to work. Don't say that stuff. That's embarrassing. Like you, we, we talk, like we get trained of how to talk with media, blah, 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 blah. And I just remember the one, it was one particular interview that he did here in New Zealand. The Highlanders. Yeah. I remember it. Yeah. Yeah. The Highlanders interview. And like, I'm sitting there going, he is having a laugh here. Like you see the interview, um, obviously post game, yeah. and because there was heaps of heat around it, right? Like everyone loved it, and I just I don't know who the commentator was. And as he'd finished, so see you later, and they were just like best post match <laughs> interview ever, and it just took off from there. Like yeah. he just became this like icon, um, and credit to him, man, because he is one of those guys that he's he's only going to be himself, and that's it. And there'll be some people who like it, some who don't. And in professional sport, when you ask him a question and he doesn't know what his role is, doesn't work very well in professional sport, right? Um, as where, you know, that was him. That's just how he was. So, yeah, he he is like that. I would say he is like that. He had it in him. He just had to, I guess, yeah, find it. Yeah. Mate, one of the real characters of the game, mate. <laughs> Absolutely, he is. Okay, oh, two more questions. Surely the yarn about the South African bus tour to Mecca's. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, this is actually – I lost my captaincy after this. Oh, geez, um, must be good. Yeah, well, no, nah, it's not. It's really bad. It cost me, <laughs> cost me a fine and everything. <laughs> but um, oh, it was – yeah, well, in South Africa, the the worst thing was, was we were sponsored by Main Roads, which was like all about you know doing the right thing while driving, no drink driving, et cetera, et cetera. And, and it was a government contract, right? Mm. So they were always really big on you know not driving under the influence and things like that. Um, and you know we were in South Africa, and and can I just clarify this for the record? A, a team bus is any vehicle that's like 12 seats or more. So we had just had like big vans. So they were like, you know, oh, 14, yeah. 15 seaters. Although a bus would have been a lot better. But uh, <laughs> but what had happened is we'd gone out and, and the Hallett Petty brothers were, they just, oh, they'd lost their dad and all this stuff just before that. So they weren't probably in the best frame of mind anyways. Um, and anyways, team had gone out. We had a curfew, which I didn't know about either because I'd kind of banged up my hand and had to get it scanned. And I'd come back and I didn't know there was a curfew. Um, I knew that we were going out. Sweet. So I met the boys out. And anyways, the curfew comes and I'm like, I didn't know about this. So I'm trying to reel in these guys and Dane and um, Ross, Halepetti, they're in the van and they end up scrapping. And I was like, Fuck, I want to go get a feed. But we have to take them back to the hotel right now. So we, you know, take them to the hotel. Um, and they're going through this hotel like the Tasmanian devil, you know, like just hitting things, big vases, like psh, psh, everywhere. 
and the security, like our security, you know how you go to South Africa and you have those personal security guards, like they were looking after them, trying to take care of them. And I was like, man, I'm starving. So I just walked back, jump in the van. And like the worst thing was, was that the stairs was like literally across the road. So we were in Bloemfontein. And so there's a stairs like connected to a, like a servo. But I was like, I'm not walking there. I, you know, you don't walk at night. So I, <laughs> in my stable <laughs> mind frame, I, I was like, yep, sweet. I'm going to drive this thing. Boop, boop, drove in, got a feed, come back. And then a few other guys were like, hey, can you drive us? And I was like, absolutely. So I go back and, you know, drive these guys and come back and, you know, think, thinking everything's sweet, you know, drop the keys off, go to bed, wake up in the morning to a text. Oh, can you please come and see Dave Vessels? And it's like, like oh, it's probably about Dane and his brother. Uh, but little did I know that the security had been like, mate, Peck was bloody fanging this car. Here I was thinking I was just kind of like cruising. <laughs> Apparently I was fanging it. Boom, boom, a couple of times. <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm getting sat down, like getting the letter of the law, fair enough, too, from um, Dave, um, the coach at the time. And I was just like, because I didn't really, like it didn't click that what I'd done was a horribly yeah. bad idea and could have been catastrophic, really. But anyways, we kind of, that's kind of the story about that. <laughs> Won't go into too much more detail. Fair enough. It wasn't good. <laughs> that wasn't good at yeah, all. Jeez, these are horrible <laughs> stories. This is, this is the stuff that I'm talking about, right? This is, if I was better at this yeah. stuff, I probably would have been better. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good stuff, Kate. Last question. Best piece of advice you have for a Waterlad listener? And you have given some good stuff throughout it, so this can top it off. Um, I think um, I've always done what I loved irrespective of whether or not it was something that people saw was a great thing for me versus people seeing like, mate, that has got no future in it. Um, so if anything, I would say always do what you love and define your success by what feels right by you, not necessarily what the people are, you know, what society says that success needs to look like. Um, because I know for a fact you know, as a kid, I couldn't read and write that well. Um, and that would, that would you know, socially would say, well, you're going to be part of this part of the community that's not successful, that's going to be a drain on the community. However, the things that I learned through other things and other beliefs really helped set me up as a person to be able to, I guess, want to always prove people wrong. I love that love that thought of being able to prove people wrong or do things that I shouldn't be able to do, you know, and, and that feeling of um, real accomplishment of being able to do something that you shouldn't, like I shouldn't be able to run my own business, you know, like, cause I've never really done it, but here I am doing it. Um, and I define that success through, I guess how I feel and, and the happiness and joy that I get from all the things that I do. So if anything, I would just say, yeah, just do what you love to do, define your own success and do a, I guess, build that blueprint throughout your experiences as to what was good and what wasn't so great, and do those learnings yourself. Um, yeah, it's always great to get advice, and I wouldn't be able to get to where I got to without having conversations like this, even or 
uh, connecting with people that know a bit more about other things than me. Um, but ultimately, as long as I keep doing what I love to do, which obviously I've done rugby for so long, um, if I can find anything that I love half as much, you know, the success that I can have in that can be whatever it, I'm prepared for it to be. Um, mm. So, yeah, I'll, I'll just say that, if anything. And you do love cookie times. <laughs> and cookie times do love me as well, I think. <laughs> we are, we're going through a few of them every week, that's for sure, as a business and, and as, as, as myself. <laughs> right. How good. But uh, unreal advice and unreal podcast, mate. It's been awesome to catch up with you. Absolute legend of the game. I don't get enough Aussie or Wallaby legends on, so it's been um, awesome to hear a little bit of insight to the rugby world over there and obviously um, your time in Japan which is a real eye opener for I'm sure a few listeners but um, uh, looking forward to watching you out there with the Wellington Lions this year as well no doubt we'll catch up when uh, Wellington play Tasman at some point so I appreciate you coming on the podcast brother cheers Jimmy thanks for having me bro you're a lad <laughs>